everyone, welcome to the Unleashing Brilliance podcast. I'm your host, Janine Garner, and I've pulled together some of the greatest minds from around the globe to help inspire you to release your own brilliance into the world. Whether we are talking to entrepreneurs, business owners, or just some all-round awesome people, I can guarantee these conversations will help you start thinking about how you can create more impact in the work that you do. A mix of incredible interviews and my own personal musings, join me from wherever you are to begin the journey to unleashing your own brilliance into the world. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I'm your host, Janine Garner, and it is an absolute pleasure to uh, bring into your world today the amazing Jade Green. Uh, I've known Jade for a couple of years and it's taken us a while to get Jade onto the podcast. She's a very busy lady, very much in demand, but I am so glad that we managed to finally have a conversation that I'm able to share with you. Um, this conversation is a little bit longer than usual. Uh, if you get offended uh, by a little bit of uh, swearing, then maybe this podcast isn't for you today or this episode isn't for you today. Um, there's a little bit of, of warning about it. But uh, if you really want to understand uh, Jade's journey from trailer to and trauma to triumph and some of the incredible lessons that we heard, then make sure to buckle in because this really is an awesome conversation. She talks about or challenges us all around whether you are choosing to live a mediocre life. She asks, uh, what do you do? What decisions do you make when you know that you have a calling, that there is something that you have to do? And most Importantly, she says that life is a choice. It is what you choose it to be. And as I touched on, her journey from trailer and trauma to triumph is exactly what has enabled her to help others to a higher level. Uh, Jade is recognized as the host of Surf and Business podcast, Barrels and Business. And she's the co-host of the leadership and team building podcast, Team Engineered. She's a transformational teacher. Uh, she's a best-selling author, a global speaker, a learning junkie, a spiritual being, a surfer, and an adventurer. In fact, uh, the day after we recorded this conversation, she was about to jump on a plane to head out to Peru to have her next adventure. To her clients, though, Jade is a fluffy, baseball bat-wielding, rule-breaking serial entrepreneur. And that can't help but pull others up to the success mountain that they absolutely deserve. She holds them accountable. She challenges mindset and she absolutely builds knowledge so that people can achieve and unlock the brilliance that, that is in them. She's able to, to combine two decades of experience building businesses with proven methodologies to really get the results that you need. She's also been honored as one of Startup Daily's top 50 uh, female entrepreneurs under 40. She's received two bronze international Stevie Awards for women in business. And her search firm, Velocity Consulting, was actually the first business to receive investment from the Entourage Growth Fund. Um, but that's all the shiny stuff, right? Um, her childhood was one of living in a trailer park, 
Uh, she talks about living in a house where the roof wasn't actually there and the skylight was the fact that she could uh, see the sky in the morning. She talks about the, her having a very colourful upbringing uh, through her father, um, the in and out of the court system, and essentially also actually at the age of 13 and a half, becoming the legal guardian to her two sisters. And her message now is one of uh, helping others to, to achieve that higher level. She, she absolutely believes that the journey is now yours and that with the clarity on how to build the business and lifestyle you love, um, everything is possible. Her mission is to help purpose-driven business owners, entrepreneurs, and coaches to scale their businesses so that they can achieve the impact they deserve. Uh, by creating productive and profitable teams that are happy, um, knowing that the ripple effect of positivity is what we want to see in this world. Her ultimate goal, get this, is to enable 6,000 humans to be happier at work by May 24. And uh, to remind people that business isn't just about the numbers, it's also about the human side too. And this balance is what allows people to lead a life where they are absolutely killing it and not fall into the same trap as she did, where the businesses themselves were killing her. So make sure to buckle in. Uh, this is an awesome conversation. It is a bit longer than our normal uh, podcast. Uh, there are a few little breaks in between, um, but there is so much learning in listening into Jade's story of trailer and trauma to triumph. Enjoy. I am super pumped at today's conversation. It's taken me a while to actually get you on this podcast, Jade. It seems to have been forever that we've been talking about this stuff. So thanks so much for joining me. Wonderful to have you here. I am so excited to be here. It has, we've had our, our roller coasters to make it happen. My assistant, Ethan, said today, do we need to cancel because you're flying tomorrow? I'm like, hell no. She is my number one priority for today. It's meant to be. <laughs> you are gorgeous. And for the, any of you that are listening that are trying to visualize where we are today, so at the moment you're in Brisbane? I'm on the Gold Coast. On the Gold Coast. So I can yeah. see on this video right now, I can see ocean, I can see surfboards. You're yeah. in the green, my friend. Yeah, you can see one side, you can see the bay. On the other side, you can see the famous D-Bar surf spot. Yeah, it's all it's all happening. I've got Queensland on my right, New South Wales on my left. <laughs> and tomorrow you're flying to Peru. Peru. Oh my god. Talk yep. about creating a business where you can actually live the life that you want, life by design. And we're gonna get right into that shortly. But before we do, let me do some quick, quick fire questions so our audience around the world can start uh creating their own picture of who you are. So where are you from originally, Jade? Where, where were you born? Ah, uh, well, I'm sure you will, you'll love this turn. I was born in the Rith. In the Rith? In the Rith. Explain for our listeners yeah. what the Rith is. Yeah, so Penrith, so far western Sydney. <laughs> so, yes, I was born in the Rith. Um, my parents were married in Mount Druitt when I was wow. two. After yeah. Dad got out of jail, um, <laughs> so yeah, and then I spent the first nine years of my life living in a trailer park 
in a itty bitty teeny weeny town called Austinville, which is between Ballina and Lismore. So if anyone's been knows about the floods, yeah, the places that went underwater. I was there for nine years and then went to Evans Head and Woodburn um, for my teenage years. So oh, we're gonna have some fun digging a bit deeper here. What was, uh, your, what was your first job? Can you remember? Yes. Uh, I had lots of lots and lots of jobs as a kid. Um, so unpaid job would have been helping dad clean the amenities block um, and this is why I have a cleaner and I uh, I don't clean my own bathrooms and I couldn't couldn't figure that out for ages but we, f- we finally found the triggers because every time I went for a shower was cleaning amenities blocks. So that would be my first one and serving, serving customers at the kiosk. Um, but I actually I worked at the Evans Head kiosk as a short order cook uh, flipping burgers and you know making fries is probably my my first real paid gig um but I was coinciding that with working at the Chinese restaurant and um being a volunteer lifeguard so volunteer <laughs> that was my first first jobs together <laughs> and can you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up I certainly can on, I man. I thought I was going to be a fashion designer yeah. so and that, that you wanted um i I loved drawing. So my, I thought I was either going to be a fashion designer or an architect. My dad used to draw plans and, and draft and I was a complete tomboy as well. So I've always been this equal mix of tomboy and girly girl. So I would have ground off Barbie's boobies in the morning and given her a mohawk and been driving my remote control car and building Lego. And then in the afternoon with my boy's haircut, I'd be sitting there drawing, designing wedding dresses. So maybe I thought I was a gay man. I don't know. Um, so I really thought that this was the path that I was going to go on, uh, even to the point that I got a partial scholarship to the White House School of Fashion, um, oh, no. which I couldn't go because it was only a partial and we we're too poor. <laughs> All right, let's 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 just talk about that that childhood because I always find it really fascinating when I you know talk to all the guests on this this show about you know what what are the drivers what what is the stuff from where they grew up or their family or their community that has started to shape who they are because I think in this is always the magic when we look back we go oh my god that's that's where it all started so so thinking about those those early years and and your family and the community you grew up in Jade how how do you think that has shaped the person that you've become uh grit and I think just I put a lot down to my to my father like dad was in the in the rag trade uh he's always like the the salesman that could just talk his way into anything like he managed to talk us out of just living in the little caravan in the caravan park somehow to him running the caravan park so we were in the um it was in a dwelling (laughs) still didn't have a bathroom but a dwelling so and then somehow started building the transportable homes um so trailers uh and then somehow ended up with a business doing that and building 24 of them for Kerry Packer so just seeing him be able to do that and knowing his very colorful background um and that that I think this the do you know what it is it's the rules I've been trying to put my finger on it it's the rules don't apply to me um mentality that I that I think I took from my father like I can do what I want I can make it happen. I can talk my way around something if I put my mind to it. Like, and and the rules don't apply to me. Yeah. Um, and a and a real um, confidence. Yeah. 
to just go after things like a fuck it, let's have a go kind of mentality. Um, So I think that that imprint was a really big thing. Um, Also, you know, allowed to be a pretty wild and loose not live really within norms or or constraints or definitely yeah. non-compliance to the bullshit rules of um, society or like no no taking on contagion like from what's going on. It was like completely just run your own race, which yeah. formed all of my thinking process. So even when high school, uh, like I had, you can imagine me with my shaved head in year six because uh, that's what girls do, they shave the head. Um I was living just with my dad at the time and then going through and um, I wore a boys' school uniform because the girls' school uniform sucked and you couldn't play basketball in it and it just, I hated it. And so I wore a boys' school uniform and they're like, can't wear a boys' school uniform. I'm like, well, technically the rules say you have to wear a school uniform. This is a school uniform. And I went through a process of I even got them to school to completely change the uniform. So I petitioned and I designed and got a unisex uniform created. And so my sisters got to come through with a unisex, way more conducive uniform. They, like I had, when I became the school captain, I, well, I got voted to be a school captain, but I had red or purple hair at any given time. And they're like, that's not okay. So I got to be, I negotiated. I got vice captain instead. Um, I'm like, the hair stays. And I'm not going. So this, just that sort of, I think, mentality and dad backing me, like getting in fight, getting in trouble for fighting and dad coming in and going, well, did they deserve it? I explained the situation. He's like, seems fair and reasonable to me. Uh, and do you know what I mean? So I think all of those imprints just gave me that bullish probably, I, I, I don't need to recognise all of these rules. Like I can, I can make my own, has really formed where I am today. So you talked there about your dad having a colourful history background. <laughs> Go on, share, share. When you when you say that, what springs to mind in your head? Um, <laughs> loves a fight. So he was an ex-merchant navy man. Yeah. Um, the part that the family hates me saying is he was also a mercenary. Um, but in his defence, it was in the Congo rescuing child soldiers um, for the Red Cross. Um, so we'll give we'll give him that, right? But you can imagine, fast and loose and travelling the world, deported from New Zealand three times. Like, he's just been everywhere. Um, and just he's a sailor. He swears like a sailor and he fights like a sailor. So every weekend, like, well, not every weekend, when I was nine and living with just him, it was just him and I for a little while, I was at the pub till close every every night. That's and I danced to the jukebox and ate packets of chips. And dad would get in fights and I'd clean him up. And you know when I, I remember when I was fifteen, walking into the house and Pink Floyd the Wall. I can't listen to Pink Floyd the Wall without feeling this. Is playing through the TV on a video, and he walks in. And he just gives me a set of pliers, and he's like, "You gotta pull the tooth out." I'm like, "What?" And he's like, and he tells my sisters. You two, fuck off. And they're like, we're, we're, we're out of here. And so I remember standing on his chest with this frigging pair of pliers to pull his tooth out and, like, just like, oh, and the feeling of it and the splurt of, like, oh. anyway, you can get through that. Yeah. And then, like, a few weeks later coming back and he's sitting out the back and he's got a blanket needle, you know, those curved needles? Yeah. And he's like, you have to stitch this up. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Oh my gosh! He was he had he had too many 
either beverages or smokes and put a machete <laughs> through his fucking hand and oh gosh imagine yeah. growing up with that what what do you is is that still around yes yeah. I saw him yesterday yeah. uh yeah <laughs> and what 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 do you reckon uh, his version of it was what was what do you reckon his words of wisdom to his daughter were well how did he cope with having a daughter did it did it bother him or was it no oh he's got three of us so so um as the story goes at nine I just I went on an access weekend with him when I was nine and I got back I had to drop my other sister off or we were supposed to be driving both of us off and I was like I'm just not going back in there he's like well the court says you can't live with me like you you I can't take you or be kidnapping and I'm like you got two choices you take me or I'm living on the street so that's your choice and so we, uh, so he took me because, you know, street wasn't the best option. Um, but a few years later, the Department of um, Child Services took my sisters off of uh, my mother as well and gave us um, full custody. Um, <laughs> that was a journey, journey. So I was legal guardian of my sisters from when I was 13 and a half, thereabouts. Um, so... Yeah, so he had he had three of us. I'm sure I'm certain that when he was traveling the world as a sailor, he didn't think he was going to be a single dad to three blonde, blue-eyed girls. <laughs> and you just said there, did I hear right that at 13 and a half you were given a legal guardianship of your sisters? Yeah, so what that looked like is we got dad got custody. Um, well, we went through it still went through the courts, but yeah, we had custody, but I was the legal signatory at school because dad wasn't allowed dad wasn't allowed to go to the school. <laughs> Dad wasn't allowed to do parent teacher nights after he did an army roll up the middle of the uh, up the middle of the library and called everyone fuckwits. Um, yeah, I feel like I need to have a language disclaimer on this podcast. Oh, really- I, I oh, usually no, do do I usually that. ask as well. I'm usually like, do I need to tone this down for an no, audience? I forget. No, we're all grown ups that listen to this podcast, <laughs> and people can make their own choices, right? I'm a massive just beat me. Beep, beep, you. Um, wow, so you had to sign stuff up. So, so again, thinking about that 13 and a half year old girl, that's a lot of responsibility at 13 and a half. Yeah. <laughs> what, did, what did it teach you? What did you, you talked about you got grit and go for it, but there, what did it teach you in terms of that people piece? Like suddenly you were responsible for your sisters. Do you know what? Oh, I've got feed, I've got feedback on our line. Sorry, Janine. Um, oh, I have okay on your end. Um, it's really strange because I look. People are like, wow, how did you cope? Or what did you think? I was like, or oh, how are you so? People often say, how are you so normal? I'm like, I just didn't think about it. I just like, to be honest, it was just like, well, <laughs> growing up in a caravan park. Anyway, it's like, do you know? And it's just, it's just life. I didn't. It just didn't really bother me. Our mother was, oh, it's going to get me, um, <laughs> colourful uh, and a challenge. And um, that, it was a bit to handle. Like Everyone's like, how did you, like, I nearly didn't graduate school. They nearly didn't give me my year 10 and my year 12 because I didn't hit the quota for how long, how often you had to be at school. Mm-hmm. Because I, But I was allowed because I was in court every, almost every week right. for like years for custody and for um, de- like um, re- apprehended violence orders and, you know, those, like those sorts of things. So obviously I was given permissions, but I don't know. I just look at it as life and I look back and I'm like, everyone's like, aren't you traumatised? I'm like, 
what are you gonna do? It gives you color, like gives you character, and like it. It, I think all it did for me is just made you grow up, and I'm grateful. And I like we went and visited my old house in Woodburn the other day, and I took a video. And everyone's like, oh, did the floods do that to the roof? I'm like, no, no, that's the roof. I just lived under the tin roof and all the all the sky you can see, that that's that's how it was. I used to joke that I had my own skylights. I'm like, we're fancy. i got a skylight in my bed. Sometimes it drips on my face. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I don't know. It's incredible. And then when you look at, so we look at, we, we hear that, that history um, of yeah trailer park and and existing essentially and surviving through to as I said anyone that can uh, visualize this I'm now looking at you in this beautiful <laughs> apartment with ocean views and you have now created your own life by design. Um, can you share? What was that first big milestone transition moment of moving, changing your life, of getting into control of your life, of making that decision that you were going to change it up? Because you could have chosen to stay exactly where you are, but you've got a solid corporate career behind you. What 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 was that decision to make the change, and what did you? Yeah, do? beautiful. And, and um, my 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 team would say it's our it's my from trailer and trauma to triumph story, right? Um, <laughs> It, it starts, well, obviously I, I was working a lot throughout my teenage years and I'd done a lot of different things. Um, I went on to make the school uniforms as well. So not only did I get them changed, I used to work in the sweatshop making the uniforms. So that was fun. Um, and the reason I tell that part of the story is at just before my 21st birthday, my roommate said, I want to move back to Darwin. Want to come to Darwin? And I'm like, oh, move to the big smoke, a capital city. Yes. And I thought what I was going to do is travel around Australia. And so I thought I'd get to Darwin. Uh, I had a station wagon. I loaded it all up, sewing machines included, you know, just in case I need to make some bucks along the way. And that I'd get to Darwin. I'd learn how to be a barmaid because if you're a bar wench, you can go anywhere, right? And I'd travel around Australia. And so that was that was the plan. Uh, well, fast forward four and a half years, I uh, I had a house. Uh, a dressmaking and alterations business and a modeling and promotional agency. Um, the first week I was working in the bar, a lady came in and she's like, oh, would you like to work at the V8 Supercars? I'm like, I like cars. We didn't have one of those growing up. Um, sure. And she's like, have you got any friends? And I'm like, I literally just got here. I said, no, but I can make friends. How many do you need? <laughs> and I literally just walked up the main street making friends with all the other barmaids. Um, and this was my first forte into recruitment, right, and fitting a brief. Mm. Well, at the four-and-a-half-year mark, I had 52 friends. So <laughs> uh, on the roster, literally on the roster. Um, and so I think that's, again, that's the defining moment. So remember I said I wanted to be a fashion designer. Mm. Well, I couldn't go to fashion school uh, and become a designer. I'm also too short to be a model. Uh, I just lack, I lack the requirements to be a model. So I just had, just created a modeling and promotional agency and a dressmaking business and got to do all the fun things. It was amazing. And so that started that, uh, that journey. But if you want to transition into the corporate side, Janine, um, that story goes with being in Darwin, coming to Sydney for a visit, um, for my ex-husband's grandma with, 
uh, see, I was meeting his family and uh, unfortunately his grandma passed while we were there, which gave us the realisation that Darwin was a really long way away from everywhere. Mm. At the same time, we were supposed to be camping um, with our friends in Darwin. I'd just been teaching one of the guys how to swim and we were supposed to go back for camping but missed it because of the um, because of the passing and the funeral. And we were listening to the radio and hearing this traumatic story about these people that have been stuck in the middle of like the outback for 24 hours and circled by crocodiles and one of them got eaten by a crocodile and all of this stuff and we're like, oh, my God, that like ring our friends, they answer, we're like, oh, thank God it's not you. And he goes, no, it wasn't, it wasn't me, it was Brett. And so the guy that I'd been teaching to, to swim only a couple of weeks before had got eaten by the crocodile. Oh, and it had been he'd been swept out and I knew that if I was there because I was the lifeguard I was the one teaching the swim I would have been the one in the river trying to bring him back in mm-hmm. and like so these compiling things went we need to make the move and we just made the decision to move to Sydney um and then that led me into I got end up in recruitment that's another whole story but yeah started in recruitment which started the the corporate journey yeah. And how how did you find, oh, God, that story, first of all, you hear these things coming up in the news about people being taken by crocodiles, but to have a friend, because they, don't they stalk? Don't, don't crocodiles yes. stalk before they attack or something? Yeah. So what happened was um, they were washing the quad bikes on the edge of the river. It's a wet season. And the dam must have broke, something broke further up and a whoosh of water came down and swept them out into the river. And yeah. so they were all in there and... Brett obviously not being the good swimmer, the guys saw it and they're like, crocodile, they started to swim and they got up, two of them got up trees and unfortunately Brett didn't. But for 24 hours the croc went and stashed him into the nest, was circling the trees and so they couldn't get out of the trees. One of the trees was breaking and the other guy had, they had to convince the other guy to swim across to the other tree. There was this whole thing about on the news how they made this new way of rescuing where they got a helicopter, they dropped a life raft in and then they used the helicopter to blow the life raft and then they had to convince the guys to drop out of the tree into the lifeguard, into the life raft. Now my friend Sean was pushing probably 140 kilos at the time. So he's like, I'm going to jump in there and they're going to bounce right out. Like, <laughs> uh, So it was a whole ordeal. And when we spoke to them, like the reason why I was like, oh, he's taking the piss, but then you can hear they were actually in the back of the ambulances still when he was calling us, like when we called them and you could hear it was just like, oh, I can't, I can't make this shit up. You just can't no. make the shit up. No, it yep. makes me actually want to vomit just even thinking about it. I just, oh. Yep. In that moment, we're like, I don't need to live in Darwin anymore. <laughs> you ended up in Sydney um, and ended up entering into the corporate world. Uh, I'm curious, how how did you find that culturally from, yep. you know, this, you, you talk about growing up with uh, parents that were very colourful uh one could argue that your your journey up until then was colorful i mean how many people take themselves off to darwin in a van with a sewing machine and go and make random mates and just say yes to jobs but then suddenly landing yourself in a corporate job how how did you find that culturally so that's the story of getting into corporate is also pretty funny so at 15 years old it was my goal in life to grow up and work for bundy rum so that i could get free bundy because because this is look Bundy is the reason why I never smoked because Bundy's expensive so I couldn't afford cigarettes so and I'd prefer to have the good quality alcohol than the cheap piss so this was a goal 
And so getting in and doing the promotions in Darwin, I got approached by Bundy to become a rep, um, so Diageo, and so I started working with them. And then when I was leaving Darwin, I'd asked for a transfer and they didn't have any roles available. So I was like, okay, well, I have to quit. So I quit. I moved to Sydney and I went through interview process when I got here with other liquor companies or recruiters, which is great because I had a recruiter interview me for Diageo, which I worked for previously, and tell me I wasn't qualified for the job that I had before because I didn't have a marketing degree. Oh. So they weren't going to put me forward. I did love to send them a rich, like, thanks so much for your help from my Bundy email later on in life. But that was fun. <laughs> um, but and I remember, I, I was like, oh, shit, I don't want to work for, there's a few liquor companies I wouldn't work for because I won't drink the liquor and you get contracted to link to only drink it. And my old boss said, remember when you met the CEO at the sales conference? He said, if you ever wanted a job, just to call him. I'm like, was that when we were dressed? I was dressed as Catwoman and I whipped him. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, or was it when after when we filled up the spa with Bundy and Coke cans? Uh, and he's like, oh, yes. And Chris said, if you ever wanted a job, call him. So I literally I called the CEO and I'm like, so the recruiter told me I couldn't have a job because I wasn't qualified. The team said there was no jobs. And he's like, I'll call you back by the end of the week. And he created a job for me. He created national accounts BDM looking after. So my my accounts were BWS and Dan Murphy's for all of New South Wales. And so I'm now the BDM for that. So I got into that. Um, that was my first real introduction to corporate because now I work in corporate head office in a national accounts team looking after a Woolworths account. I've got a boss above me, um, a boss above me who liked to steal all of my work and recognition and not let me go to the conferences. Mm. And so this was the entering of dick bosses mm. and that behaviour and then the segmentation because we had national accounts and state in the same uh, office and then there's segregation and it's us and them and I'm like, this place mm. sucks. There's not enough free rum in this for me. Mm. And so I went to a recruiter to see if I could get another role and they were like, I think you should be a recruiter. Mm. Mm. They then said no to me ten times. The, 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 the recruiter wanted me to be a recruiter but the bosses were like, no. And, uh, yeah, they said no to me 10 times. I had 10 conversations, yeah. um, which ended with, if you guys don't give me a contract, I'm going to work across the road at the competitor and I'm going to steal all of your FMCG clients and crush you. <laughs> or you can have a contract for me in five minutes and within two years I'll be running this joint. Amazing. And did you end up running it? Or One year, 11 done? months. <laughs> yeah, and I went to Melbourne and, um, and started up the office for them and, yeah, we built that from four of us to just over 50. Yeah, wow. So, yeah. again, those three those things that you t said that you learned from your childhood, grit, go for it, and that there are no rules, you've just... Yeah, totally it does not apply to me. Those stories, right? So, yeah. um, so what, what was it, what was the milestone moment for you going, I've had enough of working corporately, I need to, I need to change it up and do my own thing? And and what is that thing? So what what is it that you do now, and what is it that drives you to keep doing that work? Yeah, because it's all connected. I can see the connection. Yeah, yeah. super connected. So I did um, I did work for two other recruiters, and um, during that time, so I helped build one up. Went to work for the direct competitor, and it was when they offered me equity uh, in the business. They offered me free equity um, to handcuff golden handcuff me in, and I really sat there and went. I can't put my name on that door. I don't agree with the values. I don't agree with how 
the owner operates and treats the staff and I, I just I can't put I just can't put my name on it mm. so um I just I had I had to make a choice and so I decided to go out on my own I'd always planned to go out on my own my old the old owners um uh that I worked for had said that they would back me and we were going to do a joint venture so I already already had the company name registered already knew what my logo was going to color be and all my values and everything so I was ready to rock and roll and so when push came to shove I just went that's it I can't put my name on the dotted line and I went out and I ran in my own recruitment firm for five years mm-hmm. um so that was a really my first step into um honing in on building a business based on on your values and your virtues and I just always, even throughout that whole time in recruitment, I had this thing inside of me saying that for some reason my purpose was to be the world's largest enabler of humans that are happy at work. And it was just a thing that's always always been there for me and it, it scares me a shit ton a lot of the time and I feel like it sounds like a wanker and it's like, oh, my God, that's so big. But it just, it's, it just for nearly, I'd have to say for 13, 14 years now that that's, that's been the thing. But recruitment is a square peg in a round hole. <laughs> um, and I thought by, like, I really did think with intention, like putting people, matching people with places they like to work and good people and good bosses and all of that. But there's only so much you can control. Um, and the other thing is I found myself doing a lot of work in leadership coaching and culture co- coaching and development, but I didn't get paid for that. The org- and And I wasn't able to translate that to my recruitment team members because they like so I had a team that were recruiters like they just didn't operate the same level the same way um and I think the real catalyst for me if you're looking for the milestone Janine was I I read a couple of books and um there's there's three core books that impacted my change of trajectory one was what I know for sure by Oprah Winfrey and I realized that I wasn't living the life and the thing that makes me the most happiest, which was surfing. I hadn't been surfing for 17 years. Well, I hadn't been a surfer for 17 years. So that was one thing. And that led me on to Conversations with God um, by Neil Donald Walsh. And I started really questioning like the programming that we'd been taking on and what really was life all about and um, what rules I was conforming to. And then from there I ended up with Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vision Lakiani, who created Mind Valley. And that that book was that I I was like the way they run their culture and the awakening it's the great it's the great catalyst for awakening the species to think differently around our programming and how we can build company cultures and utilize our companies to be the ripple effect for the change we want to see in the world and that's where everything broke and I'm I mean imagine me sitting on the carpet snot pouring out of my face like complete existential crisis recruitment's not working for me i've now questioned everything the like recruitment's not doing what i wanted to do marriage isn't where it needs to be i'm not being who i want to be break everything go hard yeah Yeah. and that that's what's led me to where the journey of where i am today that's just incredible and i um what was what was your purpose again say it again to be the world's largest enabler of humans that are happy at work. Okay. So that was that's my that's that's now what the company mission is. I've always said that's my like that's been my driver. Um, yeah. And now, but our company purpose is to be the we exist to be the ripple effect we want to see in the workplace in the world, and utilizing what that means is we utilize the workforce and we utilize our 
power as business owners to be the ripple effect and to help the humans that we are custodians of to be able to be happier in life, to, to, to really be able to evolve and awaken so that they can go back out into their orbits and their communities and help raise the vibration of humanity from a grass level up. Okay, so here's my question, just to be devil's advocate. Why the hell does it matter? Why is it so important that you do the work that you do? Um, to me or the world? Both. Um, to me, it's just that I don't believe that I'm here to be a guru and to uh, create a movement or be one of those people. However, when I did my conversations with God, letter when I was with Neil Donald Walsh, it came back saying that I had to shine the light on me to shine the light on others to help them to be able to be happy. Oh, don't get to make cry again. What's going on here? <laughs> Sharon, <laughs> tell me. Why, um, is this, why is this such a shift so much emotion for you? Um. Do, do you know what? I don't know because it because it's actually it feels like a calling. It feels like I don't have a choice. Yeah, I feel like I don't have a choice. It's like someone has to do it. And I think I get the imposter syndrome running a lot. It's like, who the fuck am I to do that? But then there's this un like this thing that just has to happen. And and I'm still navigating like how that happens and how and I get super scared about how big it could be. But then also on the same note, like it just fucking has to be. And so yeah, I, I, you know how some people are like, oh, it's, this is the why. But it, for me, it's a feeling. It's like I just don't have a choice. It's, it's it's there, and I have to I have to listen to it. And all signs point to it, and it and it absolutely lights me up. Like my, you know, they say, what would you do for free? And I, I my team says I'm not allowed to do stuff for free anymore. But <laughs> they're like, stop doing the free things. Um, if if I had the choice. My number one happy place is facilitation and in training rooms and brainstorming and being a part of that that growth. Like that's what it just honestly. I, sometimes I do, I do it over surfing even. Like it's just it's what makes me feel the most me. Um, and so that's hard to quantify mm. from that perspective. Um, but why it's important for the world is there's heaps of organisations out there doing culture stuff and you know bits and pieces for it. And I don't think there's ever going to be enough. I just don't ever think there's going to be enough. And be, and when I get into that, like, oh, but I'm not Brene Brown or I'm not Happiness Co or I'm not this, I go, actually, every people, every person resonates different with different people and people need someone to meet them where they're at in a different energy level. And what you could go and say, we've got, we share a joint connection. You might say something five times to them and I come in and say it once and they're like, oh, my God, that's the best idea ever. And you're standing there going, the fuck? But just for whatever reason, it it hit them at, from that vibration or for whatever. So um, I just don't think there's enough people in the world doing it. I think there's – and I try to look at it from a different perspective from the rather than just the corporate or the academic side of things. It, it really is for me the human level and it's it's probably that more rough around the edges and I think that's what resonates with my people more. 
So, are you inspired to step up, to take massive action in your own business? Maybe you're feeling like the world's best kept secret and a little bit invisible right now. Or maybe you're frustrated at your lack of progress and want to win more at work and succeed more in life. Maybe it's about being ready to welcome more sales and more profit finally into your business. If you're interested in finding out more about my work, check me out on all the usual social platform suspects or email me at support at and let's set up a time to chat about how I can help you. Mm. So, so I'm just going to bring it back to those uh, three lessons that you shared right at the beginning in terms of background because as you're talking about um this calling that it's just a non-negotiable there's nothing that's going to stop you and whether people get it or not there's just this is why you're here and equally you shared for you why it's so important for the world um if we bring it back to those three you talked about grit you talked about going for it you talked about there are really no rules um do you think that those those three things are essentially what either we as leaders, as parents, as business owners, as people in organizations need to start getting curious about. Um, and I suppose the flip side of that is, is that there for the problem, that people aren't just going for it, that people are conforming, that people aren't don't have the grit. They're not, they think they're going for it, but essentially we're rolling over and, and giving in. What's, what's yeah. your view on that? Do you do you feel that this work is so important? I suppose, let me reframe that. Um, what are the biggest problems that you're seeing right now? Yeah. So I think grit is a big problem. Um, like we do see some people with a certain amount of grit, but they they can have grit in certain areas and then not in others. And I was actually reading a whole white paper on, on millennials and like leadership with millennials and why it's such an issue and like the – the, the fact of the matter is they had it too easy growing up, a lot of them. And so, like, think about it. Like, do you remember, like... Actually, I think everyone if in your world, with your background, there's way too many people that had it easy compared to you. It's like, <laughs> no, I like, sunroof. I would have been rubbish with that sunroof. Oh, <laughs> I hear, like, I hear kids whinging, like, that they need brand-new soccer boots. I'm like, we literally, literally used to electrical tape magazines to my shins so I could play soccer. I played soccer in Doc Martens because that was the only pair of shoes I had. Like literally the only pair of shoes I had. Um, like, I'm like, hard enough. <laughs> um, like, but think about it. Uh, not too long ago we had people getting a prize for coming last and like, it, you know, I'm all about inclusion, but you've got to think about what that does and like, the opting out culture and it's okay and there's just there's it's a real dichotomy that needs to be balanced um and I do believe it starts unfortunately with parenting it, it starts it does start with with the parenting and I what I love to talk to my clients about um is their parenting is how do they create a culture how do they create a culture code just like they do at work at home how do they set the virtues and the values and the family standards that you, the family's going to roll with? How do you set the intention? How do you start the week setting up your family for success? How do you give feedback? Like how do you work with some, how do you work with your mini humans and go, right, these are your, because I'm into strengths finders, like what are the strengths of this kid 
And how do we amplify that? And how do we get them to push the challenge skills balance and not like just opt out and be a pussy, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's, it's a fine art between, but honestly, I think that that's where the huge, huge opportunity is. We don't teach our parents how to parent. Now, said, said from <laughs> someone who shouldn't really have parenting models. Um, and I feel like, and Janine, in full disclosure, I don't have my own kids because I had my sisters and I feel like I didn't do a great job. Like I could have done a better job for them so they don't have to carry the trauma and the struggles that they have, specifically one of them. Like I, w- like I wish I could have known about mental illness and known about anxiety and um, OCD disorders and um, body dysmorphia and all of that younger on where I got to help. So, but I do a lot of study around it now in reflection and so I can be a better auntie and like, well, I'm grandma effectively um, and conscious parenting. And I work a lot with my clients and study a lot around this because I see such a link between the family culture and the company culture and being company culture is my, is my thing, but how we can teach the, because our parents don't get, like people don't get that knowledge outside of work and if they don't have the expendable income or they don't even think that they could go and get coaching around being a better parent or they don't know what they don't know, being able to utilise a platform of corporate culture or organisational culture and coaching to be able to help these people have those skills, right, it makes everyone happier and it's that is how we have the impact on the world, right? Like, so I work with my clients, like we're talking to one of the guys about one of his kids doesn't sleep through the night. I'm like, okay, have we tried sleep meditations? What are they, what time are they stopping with screen time? Like what sort of music or sounds are happening before they go to bed? Like how do you manage attention deficit trait in terms of what's all of the sensory overload coming in to that poor child before you're trying to put them to sleep? Mm. What did you feed them? Like are they high carbohydrate? Are they spiking their glucose? Like, Mm. and they're like, holy crap. They implement a couple of these things and they're like, oh, my God, my kids slept through the night. I can't even remember, like, when they've done that. Now, that's cool. But now he got to sleep through the night. He's far better at his job making way less mistakes Mm. on the back end of that, right? Mm. Oh, and I can so resonate with that. We uh, our youngest for a few years wouldn't sleep through the night and I think uh Jason and I survived on very little sleep and broken sleep for way too many years mm-hmm. um and you know this is this is a, a a young young teenager not necessarily newborn and you go it you're right it really impacts if you're not careful how you then interact with the people around you and what you bring into work um, yeah so you're absolutely right um, so Jade, with you know, this podcast is all about unleashing brilliance, and you know we, we've we've taught, and I, you know, I you have done that for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you've made the choices, you've done the work, you've tapped into your own grit, go for it, and throwing rule book book out the window, and it's very clear that you are on a mission. No doubt about it. So so what is, if you could, and it's going to be really hard, I get it, but if you could boil it into one or two words and you talk about your wish for the planet, um, 
and mine is I believe that you know we all have so much in us right now we've got more in us than we're ever capable of um, it's just that that self-doubt that imposter syndrome that thinking we're not good enough that comparisonitis kicks in and it keeps us small and yet I don't believe we've any of us have been put on this planet to not achieve something so so from your perspective um people listening in right now that uh, could be listening to your story and resonate with it or go oh my god I couldn't do any of that stuff what what advice would you give to them <laughs> um get the bleep already um so one of our company virtues is fuck mediocrity mm. and we use that in so many terms like we look at a document we put together is it mediocre is it just like is it good enough or is it like is it epic so if you look at every area of your life and you go am I happy to have a mediocre life am I happy to do a mediocre job am I happy to have mediocre results if you ran that like if you looked around like even now I look, I'm like I asked myself the question the other day you can see my background I'm like layout's a bit bit mediocre so I'm I asked my accountant whether I could uh spend some money and so I'm getting a stylist in to make it less mediocre because that will make me happy and I'll get clients in. And, and then the challenge behind that, though, was, okay, if I do that, what do I do to justify it? I need to do more retreats here. I need to have more intensives with my clients and I'll be more motivated to do it because I'll be more inspired by my space. But that gives me a marker to push towards because now I'm like whatever I spend on it is what I've got to earn back within three months to make a, a worthwhile expense. Otherwise, that's just being ex like it's just – you know, being excessive and materialistic. Mm. And then I was like, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, you have all this podcasting equipment and you've got all these people that are trying to find spaces. I can rent out, like, so I want to align with other people that are creating the ripple effect and I'll let them come use my space as a studio mm. to record their their pr programs, to do their podcasts, right? I've got the full rig. I've got everything for them to rock and roll. Imagine that's a gift that I can help birth into the world for other people. So do you know what I mean? That, that's how it starts to play out. Um, the other thing that came up for me, though, is anyone that's seen my socials, my power quote of life is a choice, it is what you choose. Mm. And I hope she doesn't listen. Um, I once had my brother say to me, because my brother didn't grow up with us, um, after a visit with one of my sisters, he's like, you guys grew up in the same house, right? I'm like, yeah, you know we grew up in the same house. And he's like, how do you look at the world so differently? Mm. Like how do you just have such a different experience and mindset and everything? I was like, coming from your own brother to you, like, like, whoa. But I said, and I said to him, I just, I just don't choose, choose to look at that shit. Mm. It's just like it happened. It, it was an experience. I learned this from it. Whatever. It was like, get over it. Move on. Now, I'm not saying I don't have trauma. I've worked through my trauma. But you got, but, but what I challenge people is life is a choice. It is what you choose. If you don't like your situation, you're not a tree, fucking move. Mm. If you're not happy with how much money you're earning, what are you doing to upskill yourself and make yourself more invaluable to earn your keep in your career? Or in like, what else are you doing? Stop watching Netflix. Start selling shit on eBay. 
This is so good. Oh my gosh. Oh my God, I sound like Gary Vee. I punched myself. (laughs) Life is a choice. It is what you choose. I love that. I've got one final question for you. Uh, We could talk for hours and hours and hours and hours. And I think we'll probably do this again. But my final question, um, if I got your dad to join us on this podcast right now, what do you think... What do you think he would say, or what would you say to him first? Fine, I'm transferring the two and a half grand. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a passion project. He's making a caravan. He's doing a caravan. It's like it keeps him happy. He wants to put whatever. Just fine. (laughs) Yesterday I was making him work for it. He was justifying why it needed all these things. And what do you think he would say to you? Uh, can you give me some money? And can you do it before you go to Machu Picchu in case you fall off of Machu Picchu? That was the statement. Can you do it before you go in case you fall off? I'm like, I don't just fall off Machu Picchu, Dad. Um, yeah, he, he, um, he's super proud of me and, like, he – what is beautiful like he he says i'm his i'm his best mate and he get if my sisters forget to give me a mother's day present he's like on their case um he's like on the wife that he didn't have um he's been banned from writing to my favorite on christmas cards in front of the other children he's not allowed to do that anymore um he he's been caught on 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 audio my sister recorded it but it's because he's like i couldn't have done it without her and he always keeps saying to me is, why do you have to, why do you have to keep working and making money? Just go surfing. Like life's just go surfing. You don't need more money. You don't need more pressure. Like just relax and go surfing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, sometimes I listen to that and I was like, yes, sometimes I do. Um, but I know, but I also know that it comes from a place of his fear from being bankrupt and having all the stuff and losing it. And, and, but the message in that is don't forget to live life it's not all about grinding life's not here to like die under fluorescent lives it's to it's to actually have experiences and so from what I take about on that is make sure you have the experiences Jade you are an inspiration I um that makes me uncomfortable They could probably have picked up through this conversation the moments where you've held it together. I want to thank you for your vulnerability because really through sharing the stories is how we are all learning. And and I think, um, you know, this, this, this calling that you've got absolutely is a calling and everything that you have done till now is enabling you to connect through being very real and share the stories from a place of truth, which is going to impact so many people. So I don't want you to to stop doing the work and live in the ocean for the rest of your life. We need you to do the work because there are so many people and so many organisations and so many leaders and so many families um, that that need to uh, listen to you to take snippets of this into their own world so they can become better humans. So... Thank you so much. I know we've run over time, but, oh, my God, there were so many gems of wisdom. Um, Jade, before we do go, um, you know, you've mentioned through the conversation that you work with many organisations doing culture change stuff. Uh, you speak on stages around the world. Uh, you work anywhere 
around the world. Uh, now that we're post-COVID, so you can go back to that that wonderful lifestyle that you had. Um, anyone that wants to get in touch with you or hear more about you, where's the best place that they can find you? Yeah, all of my social media is Jade Green AU. So at Jade Green AU for Australia, obviously. Uh, website is just jadegreen.com.au. Um, that's probably the best places to to catch me. And or if you want to reach out direct, direct, just jade at jadegreen.com.au. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Can't wait to see you, Jade. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I hope you have new ideas on how to step into your own brilliance after listening today. For those of you who don't know, my own brilliance is helping businesswomen embrace their brilliance to achieve greater profits, align with their purpose and create greater impact through their business. I've helped thousands of businesswomen leverage their networks, build rock solid business plans and break through the glass ceiling to become seven figure business owners and beyond. If you're looking to take your business to the next level and have been feeling stuck or are frustrated that it's been taking forever, then shoot me a message today as I'd love to help you. You can email me directly at support at or find me on any of my social media platforms listed in the show notes below. Until next time, have an absolutely fabulous day.